Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt, a glass tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. My name is Brandon Zeck. I am Christina Reese. And we're talking today about, well, this is kind of what's near and dear to our heart because it's what we do every day. We're talking about art criticism. Yeah, I think we could call this podcast something like why we need art writers more now than ever, which is basically based on an op-ed I wrote one year ago uh, before the launch of something we call the Glass Tire Art Writing Prize. And just to real quick kind of get this out of the way, one of the reasons we decided to talk about art criticism today is because we just announced the 2019 prize, which is open to uh, North Texas area students, undergraduates, and um, undergraduate seniors, and masters and PhD students. We'll include a link to that on the website, but this is a prize. Uh, It's an open call. It's juried by the Glass Tire staff and by Terry Thornton of the Fort Worth Modern and Jeremy Strick of the Nasher Sculpture Center, and it's a way for us to find some new amazing talent, Um, and it's also a way for us to give the winning piece $2,500. We did this last year. We received a great essay uh, that was the winner. We received a lot of great essays, but the winner was a piece by uh, student Melanie Shi about uh, James Terrell Skyspace at UT Austin. And, you know, I think it's always kind of nice to be reminded of art criticism and what we do just personally at glass tire for i maybe kind of for our own sanity but this is a topic that we have uh this is a topic of conversation that we have with a lot of different people whenever we kind of are out in the world because everyone's interested in art criticism because you love it you hate it you wish it happened more <laughs> you wish it happened less you want to be yeah. a part of it everyone has their own thoughts about it. So for art criticism in general, though, I feel like I kind of had a great reminder of what criticism can do, and especially criticism that is pointed that people can agree with. I was talking to someone uh, recently when I was in Dallas about, and they were talking about a show that they saw uh, in California, and they said that they heard, they heard really negative criticism about the show, and they were like, well, so immediately I, we had to go to the show. <laughs> they flew to California to see it? They were in California and decided to go ahead and see it anyway. But, you know, it's like otherwise, if there wasn't the piece of negative criticism about it, they wouldn't have known about it. And if the criticism was lukewarm or even vaguely positive, you know, I mean, that's that's not fun. You know, you must have been talking to some pretty hardcore art lovers because I think yeah, you know, I think what a lot of people are looking for when they read a review is uh, an opinion by the writer of whether or not the show is even worth seeing. And they want to be able to come to this kind of black and white conclusion at the end of a review. Was it a positive review? Was it good art? Was it a negative review? Is it bad art? And there's a lot of gray area in there, and that's where sort of the joy of art writing comes in. What it feels like to me is that art writing kind of as a, as a tool for opening up dialogue or starting conversation or being, you know, a respectful response to serious art. Art writing has kind of veered in two or three different directions away from what feels like honest and rigorous and thoughtful criticism. It's become sort of lifestyle writing on the one hand. You know, glossy magazines love to write about artists now because artists and art, it's very hot right now. It's a lifestyle thing. So um, being rich and being collectors, uh, the kind of Instagram inspiration, home decor thing. I mean, celebrating art or artists for kind of enhancing one's uh, personal brand 
is a one way of going about art writing. And you see a lot of that in Texas. You see it in a lot of high-end, glossy kind of publications or magazines that have a tremendous amount of advertising by fashion brands, et cetera. And I think where that comes from is something that we at Glass Tire kind of try to capitalize on a little bit also, which is that people love learning about and writing about and talking about people. But I think maybe where we might try and distinguish ourselves a little bit is we get into more of the art also, because we do artist profiles and things like that. What I, You're right. But what I will say is that it seems to me like real art writing that's still for a semi-general audience, i.e. an audience that's semi-invested in it, but not necessarily living and breathing it every day. That art writing seems to have almost disappeared. Art writing or real art criticism now is even more niche than it was before. A lot of newspapers have shut down. A lot of magazines have shut down. The digital revolution has seen to that. Now there's a lot of armchair criticism, if you want to call it armchair criticism, that everyone's a critic. If everyone's a critic, no one is a critic, by the way. Um, so who has the authority to write about art and who's interested in reading about it? I mean, those are these are just some of the most basic questions that and concerns that we deal with every single day. You know, what gives any of our contributors the authority to weigh in on whether a show is any good or not? What gives us the authority to publish that piece? That's something that I, when I first started with Glass Tire, kind of right out of school, I grappled with significantly. You know, I never thought I was going to be an art critic. I thought I would after school, you know, work for a year or two, then go back to get my PhD or my master's degree in art history and teach or, you know, read books or do research or whatever. And when I got out of school and started just intensively looking at things, which is kind of part of the job here at Glass Tire, and started writing about things, I very much had the, you know, it's a little bit of like emperor's clothing of like, am I an imposter because I'm doing this and I have thoughts and opinions about it? And I think that's something that we try and break down a little bit and try and keep in mind that you don't necessarily, no one really has the authority to write about things. It's if you have an opinion about something and you're kind of informed enough about it to where you can talk about it, or at least can talk about it from where you're coming from, then I think you have the authority to write about it. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes from just being somebody who dedicates themselves and their lives to looking at and thinking about art. Um, And artists are um, one segment of the population that we can sort of count on for that. That's why so many of our contributors are artists. I was going to say the other thing that's happened to art writing is that I think as the kind of keepers of the gate... Uh, in terms of art still being held as this this highest, this visual art is this kind of highest art form. They sort of closed ranks or circled the wagons by making their academic jargon the way that art writing happens. And it, it cuts out or leaves out a tremendous amount of the art-loving population. If you talk over their heads and you do it uh, intentionally, um, number one, you're probably not expressing much of an opinion. It's hard to know if you even have any passion for the work itself. And number two, a lot of people are going to get bored when they're reading it. It's just not, it's dense and it's dull. Uh, but it was a way to, I, it, to me, it all feels like a way to keep um, the unwashed masses from engaging with art. And I, and Glass Tire, we very much do not deal in that kind of language. Um, we're trying to be accessible not inaccessible, but we're still very niche. I mean, that's just that's just true. There's no other publication like Glass Tire in uh, Texas. There's really no other publication like Glass Tire anywhere in the United States, mm-hmm. um, considering what we do. 
So what gives us the authority is that we care and we've made a profession out of it and we've spent, you know, for those of us who are the older members of Glass Tire, we've spent, you know, literally thousands of hours doing nothing but this. And we do it in a way that's thoughtful enough uh, and rigorous enough to where I think that what we are saying can be taken seriously. Now, when I read people's kind of drive-by armchair criticisms of certain shows that I see in Dallas or Houston or whatever, and it's just something that's on Instagram or something that's on Twitter or Facebook, and all they're saying is something like, you know, they're considering themselves almost like being, you know, as good as critics when they're like, this show is not to be missed. Or they say something like, um, well, this is a Monet show, so enough said, you just have to go see it, you know? Um, it's like, all right, there's no revelation that's happening here. This isn't a real response, and this isn't criticism. It's certainly not enough. It's not a dialogue. It's not opening up a conversation about it. And the bottom line is that artists make art, and they don't want it to just disappear into a black hole or a vacuum, even a vacuum of just pure cheerleading. Um, although I will say that it, when artists sometimes really call for much more um, honest or negative criticism from Glass Tire or anyone else, uh, that when they get it, uh, they bristle. But that's that's kind of almost another topic. Then that's not cer that's certainly not always true. Most of our most seasoned artists who are professionals understand that negative criticism just kind of comes with the territory, which isn't to say that, that they don't have long memories. Um, or they don't get upset. This could be kind of an idea that seems obvious, but uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of realized about it. And it's a different way to think about criticism also, um, that it's opening the door to things or to dialogue that should be done by crit groups or should be done by people's peers. But oftentimes we don't want to hurt each other's feelings. I was invited to critique a course recently, uh, a group of artists that were in this course. And the, the engagement that I kind of had with it and that I tried to open everything up with was, I want us to be able to talk about the problems in the work and what actually works in the work and to really be honest about this because unless you critique something with the hopes that, you know, whoever you are critiquing will actually hear the critique if the critique is well thought out and put together and with the idea that you're trying to help make it better, nothing is going to get better and no one will grow ever. And a lot of times I feel like among peer groups, there's a tendency to, you know, it's harder. It's hard to critique your friends, and it's hard to tell your friends, "Hey, I don't think this thing is working." So then, sometimes things like that go unsaid, and then things that could have been caught early on aren't caught, and then maybe it comes on whoever the artist is that's writing about a show that doesn't know you, that's willing to say that kind of thing about your work because, you know, you had friends that maybe held back a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think for people who went ahead and went, got into an MFA program and went through critiques in, in their programs, you know, that was maybe the last that they had that kind of uh, searing honesty, for better or worse. And what happens is that people's social groups fall apart as they get older and get more entrenched in their own profession. And a lot of artists are just working by themselves in their studios. And it's not to say that they don't have people come by their studios to talk to them about their work, but and that they don't have some close friends who maybe will be very honest with them. But for the most part, a lot of people, a lot of artists in this state are essentially making work on their own until they get it out in the world, until they show it in a gallery or an institution or an artist rent space or whatever, they don't get any feedback. Uh, and even after they've shown it, they don't get feedback. They have a lot of people coming up to them and congratulating them for having a show, but no one's telling them what they really think of the work. And that's really hard. That's living in a vacuum. And no one, I mean, no one or very few people that I know actually want to live 
in a vacuum. And I know that can be that can be difficult also. You know, we're at Glass Tire. I'm always looking for ways that we can make Glass Tire better. And I hope that when I ask people that they can give me real honest feedback about it because just like everything else, if we don't get honest feedback with Glass Tire, we're not going to be able to grow and do a better job doing what we do, which is serving our community in the way that it needs to be served. So, you know, I want to know feedback among Glass Tire, just like artists, I think, deep down truly do crave real legitimate feedback from their peers. Yeah, their peers and their peer group can expand to mean uh, those of us who work at Glass Tire. We would not be doing this if we did not have a profound regard and respect for what art is and what art can do. And we're not just these casual um, acquaintances who've never really thought about any of this before. If I'm gonna actually sit down and write a review of a show, I've been moved by something, you know, for better or for worse. And when people say, well, we need a lot more negative criticism, but then they bristle when they read it, I get very mixed messages out there about what Glass Tire is doing right or wrong when it comes to the tone of our criticism. Of course, every single contributor who works for us is a different human being with a different take. We, we do op-eds, we do essays, we do reviews, but one person doesn't necessarily ever speak for all of Glass Tire. There is no all of Glass Tire. We're all individuals uh, weighing in individually. I don't change the, I, you know, when a contributor gives me a piece, I don't change their opinion. Um, I might fix their grammar, but what they have to say about the show remains true. I don't, um, I, sometimes I don't know what to do. I feel like my hands are tied. You know, is it we, four out of five reviews that we run are overwhelmingly positive. And yet what Glass Tire often is thought of or remembered for is its negative criticism. And again, it's probably because we're the only ones in the state who are actually doing it. Well, and I think, I think you can't, of course, make generalizations about, us or our contributors. But the one thing that kind of is really strong, and I think the one through line about what we try to do, and I think what a lot of good publications or writers or in independent critics try to do is our contributors write about things that move them. That's not just Christina, that's me included. That's any anyone that writes for us, really, we don't we tend to not give out assignments. It's not like we're a, a Right. weekly paper and we're saying that this big show at this institution needs to be covered. We all understand that there are also just so many important shows across the state of Texas that it's impossible to cover everything that's amazing and that's important. And that's also just a thing that we're looking at every day. And it's, you know, it's almost rapid fire judgment sometimes of necessity. I don't tend to make concrete assignments, you know, in advance. I don't necessarily contact a contributor to say, will you write about this? Unless I think it is a really important show. Unless I think it's an important show that's being overlooked by other outlets. Sometimes I do make assignments, but I try to find a writer who I think is certainly up to the task. And I think our writers are up to their tasks. But, you know, with that we have more art in Texas than we've ever had before. And it's accessible. Um, we have, there are more institutions, there are more nonprofits, there are more artist-run spaces, there are more MFA programs, there are more people graduating from these MFA programs. There's more art than ever, and yet you could argue that there's less coverage than ever. The Art Writing Prize is one way to find people who are up to the task and who would want to do it. These are 
generally very young people are reaching out to. It's sort of the next generation of art writers. And I think that the world that they're entering as art writers, whether it's as a, you know, something that they just do on occasion or something that they're serious about doing professionally, whether it even helps them to realize that the world has changed drastically and it's not, you know, thinking that you're going to grow up and be an art critic now is not necessarily a feasible or viable career path. There are very few full-time critics of any sort of art form, dance or film or television, who even, you know, have jobs in this country anymore. So, but I do think that certainly one thing that I'm very grateful for is artists who have strong opinions and are and are willing to put it out there and they and I think that they might feel like they've got a little extra layer of armor on them because they're working artists with a studio practice and if they want to uh, commit their opinion to writing about not liking a show um, I think it's harder for people to attack them that's another um, you know that's another pothole in our industry now is that this kind of circular firing squad slash outrage culture that has emerged uh, tremendously over the last five plus years. The way that that makes people even police our site for things that they don't agree with has made this a, a more treacherous sort of industry. And you've got to have thick skin um, because you will have people not just disagree with you, but they'll do it very publicly. Touching on how much criticism and writing has kind of transitioned from full time to being part of the gig economy that's just so insanely prevalent nowadays. I mean, writing serious and honest art criticism could, in one way, depending on what your other gigs are, jeopardize your status in the gig economy of working for or working with institutions or other artists or depending on what you're working on the whole world that we're dealing with is about relationships and relationships don't necessarily always take kindly to honest writing whether it's accurate or not relationships actually don't do well under searing honesty period um so that's just kind of how the world works but if we're being looked to for real and respectful dialogue about what artists are creating, then we're not doing our jobs unless we can produce that content. And that means being honest and that means putting yourself out there and it means taking a risk. Um, One thing that you and I have talked about just one-on-one when we're having conversations is is it can be difficult to have friends if you are an art critic. Uh, certainly, it's difficult to have friends who are artists or collectors or curators or museum directors or what have you. The people who choose to be friends with you or um, continue to be friends with you after you've written something that they don't agree with can be a, a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, I will say that I've been surprised that my own negative criticism, if you want to call it that, or harsh criticism, or when I come out against something that I feel is very problematic, that I've had even very seasoned professional artists in Texas turn on me or freeze me out for what I am essentially just doing my job the same way they're doing their job. On the other hand, I've had very young artists who are so hungry for honest dialogue that they would, they'd pay me extra to write a negative review about their work if they could just (laughs) get somebody to tell them the truth about it, you know? Do you think any of it is a generational thing? Because me coming from the younger generation, it's a little bit of the gig economy. It's a little bit of also we, I feel like we haven't ever really 
known the golden age of art writing when every paper and every weekly had a full-time dedicated art critic. And we've kind of never basked in the glory of what arts coverage used to be and all of the different levels that used to be available, whether from academic jargony to accessible to the normal person to kind of profile interview one question things. I think it's different because we haven't been raised on that and we don't know what that environment was like. Well, you haven't. Yeah. You you haven't. And I and I think it's actually really useful for you to be a publisher at this point uh, and still be young. I'm old enough to remember all of that and to have lived through it and to have benefited from it. Um, and I've been able to continue having a career in this uh, sector because of it. But... Um, I'm surprised we're a question about, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're, are you asking are younger people just not so set up to take ne- negative criticism versus older artists? Or are you asking the opposite? What's the generational gap that you're asking? Just if there's a generational gap within art criticism, it was a little more skewed towards the fact of you've had some younger people who have been really hungry. And I know a lot of younger people who are really hungry also. And even if they don't get anything, uh, on a, any publication, they just kind of go out and make something for themselves. That, g- granted, that could also be just kind of the young, energetic go getedness that might fall away as you get more and more responsibilities and get older. I think I think millennials and Generation Z are really having a hard time understanding how they're meant to make a living in this world. Period, on their art, much less art criticism. And I think the formality of entering art as a career choice is slipping and I think that therefore the formality of sort of the need for art criticism has slipped I think that art criticism looks and feels different from how it did you know even 15 or 20 years ago and I think it's one of the reasons that we cover art in a lot of different ways and that any platform that wants to survive has to have a lot of different kinds of art coverage well one of the things from the 2018 writing prize that I found really interesting is well there was kind of two camps. There were people who were emailing us and asking us what they were allowed to write about and kind of parsing and splitting hairs. But then there were also people that just went for it. And I mean, we had, you know, the the winner was um, about a James Terrell Skyspace piece, but we had people that wrote about photography series. We had someone write about Arthur, like the animated Arthur the Aardvark cartoon. Um, we had mm-hmm. someone write about like a piece of music and just kind of the the breadth of the call or trying to think of what a work of art actually was and then interpreting that very widely. But the way that Entrance approached it is they really chose something they cared about and it, you know, even when it wasn't a painting on a wall, it promoted really interesting conversation and dialogue within the piece of writing, which I think is what everyone is going back to it, which is what everyone is yearning for right now. Yeah, we were looking for good writing. And so we were willing to open it up and let people just write about the thing that they felt strongly about and to see if they were able to do that uh, and communicate a certain set of ideas, something original something compelling, something that would seduce readers and keep them reading to the very end. That's a lot trickier than I think a lot of people understand. And I think that because of, even just because of the amount of texting that people do and the amount of Instagramming that people do and the amount of Facebooking and tweeting that people do, I think a lot of people sort of think of themselves as being able to write 
uh, and being good writers or being able to communicate and communicate well. And I, I just have to say, you know, as an editor and somebody who also texts and uses social media, that most people are not good writers. They don't have it in them. I'm sorry. It's just true. You may think you're a good writer and you're, and you're not. Um, and we just needed to, we just really needed to figure out whether somebody could get their idea across or not. And, um, but there are, as I've said in my own writing, when I write about art criticism or the importance of it, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. And that's true of even how to write a review and how to communicate something. And it also helps, that kind of concept helps embrace the fact that there's a lot of gray areas, you know. Again, I think if somebody's only looking for whether, for, for a recommendation, like should I go see this show or not, if that's the only reason they're reading a review, uh, we may as well use like a star rating system. Oh, exactly. Well, no, not even a star rating system. We just need a yes or a no next to the title of the show. Right, the thumbs up or the thumbs down, yeah. And even so, that's... That's whoever's deciding on its point of view. I think good writing is made for people who love reading. And for me, the joy of a beautifully written art review, I mean, I do it. I read it for the pleasure of it. I find it incredibly pleasurable to read good writing, period. And I love reading good critics. I love reading good reviews. I've always loved it since I was a teenager. After since I was in junior high school, I was really getting off on the voice and opinions of critics. I thought that it was incredible. And I, I felt like I'd found this kind of kindred spirit sort of uh, way of thinking and speaking and feeling. And I'm not surprised that that's the route that I took ultimately. But that wasn't just art criticism. I wasn't reading art criticism when I was in junior high school. I was reading music criticism. But it's all the same thing. It's still taking something that an artist, a creative person has put a creation out in the world and they're looking for a response to it. And now everything is so splintered and people's attention spans are so splintered and the outlets or platforms that they go to for their information has become both splintered and also extremely myopic. You know, um, even my own web surfing habits are a lot more narrow than they used to be. But finding the really good writing and sticking with it when you when you see it and taking some pleasure in the reading of it is it's kind of a disappearing thing in some way. And in other words, that kind of thing is becoming even more niche. Just like art writing is becoming more niche, just reading good criticism is becoming more niche. Well, I mean, if it's harder to find criticism and there are fewer critics, then it's harder to find someone you can relate to and really understand. And that's one of the ways that you can really take pleasure in something is by really kind of empathizing and sympathizing with someone else's voice and their opinions and their thoughts. So it's just kind of a degradation of part of the industry uh, is kind of a degradation to the entirety of it and especially to the public-facing side of art criticism or any criticism. I think we, we have an extra kind of hurdle here in Texas because there is still a, a pervasive sense of decorum and politeness in the Bible Belt and in the South and in the Southwest. The further we get away from the original centers of real art criticism or real critical thinking, which, let's face it, is primarily in the Northeast of the United States and in Europe. Um, the further away we get from that, the more people, I think, bristle at the idea that somebody would professionally criticize something that they like or enjoy. And they don't take it as something to dive into and swim around in and try to get somebody else's thoughts or ideas. They take it as a personal assault on their taste and so in Texas, we have a lot of people who resist any form of criticism, reading it or embracing it or just using it as a way to explore their own feelings about something because they think it's rude. 
And um, I think that it's just true that Glass Tire is attempting to do something that people say they want, but that they don't really want, which is the truth. <laughs> I think that I think that I've said this a million times. I think people in Texas are very, very, very polite up to the point when you piss them off so badly that they pull out a shotgun and they blow your head off. And I think that goes for criticism. I've seen critics. I've seen critics for major newspapers in um, Texas get just crucified by a public for not liking a restaurant that is popular in their town or not liking, you know, an opera that was staged in their town. I mean, people really think, I don't know, you know, and it's not like critics have that much actual power at this point. So sometimes I find it interesting. It's It's like this kind of crazy outside, outsized response to one negative review as though somehow it's doing actual damage to a, an artist's career or something. I think there's, I, I think part of it might be the fact that, you know, talking about thick skin and how you have to have thick skin to be a critic. I think some of it is the fact that just people in general don't have thick skin. And if you disagree with what a critic says, it might mean you're wrong because the critic is the, um, air quotes, expert of something. So it's a little bit of just a backlash mm-hmm. of the fact that you don't think you're wrong and someone is, you know, they're not proving you wrong because subjective opinions, et cetera, et cetera. But to you, they're proving you wrong because you have a different opinion than they do. So it's just kind of an instinctual backlash against like, well, no, it can't it can't be that because I think the opposite thing and it's just kind of an insecurity that we all have that we're not understanding something or that we aren't going to kind of be in the popular opinion about something. Well, this is this is the thing. So there's a real anti-elitist sort of movement that's happened for a long time and it's gotten much worse under Trump is that, you know, uh, fake news and people deciding to not trust the medical establishment or scientists or teachers about, you know, the jobs that they do, the jobs that they train to do for years. Um, if they don't agree with these experts who've put in years and years of schooling and hard work, um, they decide to just dismiss them out of out of hand because they don't like what they have to say. And of course, the first people who are going to suffer from that kind of backlash are critics because you don't necessarily receive a diploma in criticism. And so they're going to ask you what your, you know, what your credentials are to even say something is good or bad. But that's still, if we, if, if, if glass tire was as uh, saccharine and cloying as glossy magazines are about art all the time, we, we wouldn't be fulfilling any particular purpose in this state. And um, if people don't like it, that's one thing, but I will say, and we know this, and we know this from looking at our analytics every week, our negative criticism, our negative reviews, and our negative opinions are the gifts that keep on giving. The electrical boxes piece that Rainey wrote, she doesn't like people doing murals on electrical boxes. How old is that piece? Two years old, mm-hmm. three years old? Man, it just keeps going viral. Some of the most negative critic, uh, some of the most negative reviews on Glass Tire are by far the ones that get the biggest hits, and get the biggest hits not just for a couple of months, but for years. People enjoy reading negative criticism as long as they personally are not, you know, the targets or um, or the ones made to feel like they don't have taste. But well, again, a lot of reading negative criticism is actually just a validation of your own thoughts about something that you don't want to say publicly because you don't want to be on the backlash end of everything. But you still agree. Yeah, and so when we do, when we run so many positive reviews, and we do again, just uh, you know, largely we are 
writing and running very positive stuff. We like the Texas art world. We like the Texas artists. We like what they do. So we're supporting it. Uh, but people may silently agree with all the positive uh, editorial stuff that we run, but they don't necessarily comment on it. It's the negative stuff that gets people's backs up and it makes them want to start talking. But what we do need is we, we need, you know, glass tire. And I think just generally this state of Texas and arts writing period needs more people who are willing to put their names to thoughtful, thorough, rigorous, good writing or good speaking, good podcasting, but good video casting about art and, uh, and whether it's working or not working. And I think artists can use it. I think that the various Texas art scenes can use it. And I think it should be grown up enough to take it. And I think that if people are young people in these universities that we're reaching out to for the writing prize, if they feel themselves moved by a particular artwork, uh, old or new, I think that they would be a terrific candidate for, um, you know, getting in front of a, a screen and a typewriter and putting some thoughts down and seeing how it goes. You know, you may surprise yourself if you may have an inner critic living inside of you that's dying to get out. Oh, yeah. So much of my writing, I don't ever really know what's exactly going to come out until I start writing and then whatever comes out kind of is the piece. That's a way to write. You don't have to know what you're going to write. Oh, I would say half of the greatest writers out there, um, that's how they operate. They don't really know how they feel about something until they start writing it down. I'm often that way. Um, or I think that I know what mm -hmm. I'm going to write and then I start the piece and it goes in a completely different direction because my subconscious is telling me something different from what my, you know, what I thought my first reaction was to it. But I will say that anyone who wants to write art criticism in this state, um, I think that the state is ready for it and ripe for it in some ways. I would, you know, I would warn that the person probably needs to have fairly thick skin if they want to truly be honest, but, um... I think that it makes everything feel livelier. I think it raises the bar. I think that it, uh, it acts as a, as, as a kind of, um, I don't want to say quality control. I think that that's too harsh. But I do think that without any criticism or honest dialogue about the art that's happening, that the art doesn't tend to rise to any particular occasion and it leaves us with less good mm -hmm. art. We would have more good art if there was more actual criticism. And so, of course, I'm always fighting for that. I think we're always fighting for that. But I would love to see some new voices, and um, and we're always looking for writers, and I'm always looking for good, clear, uh, entertaining writing. And that, again, that can take many, many different forms. Yeah, as always, we'll end this by saying we're looking for writers. If you're interested or you see something that we're not writing about, let us know, and maybe you should think about writing about it for us. Yeah. Uh, Christina's email is editor at glasstire.com, and you can bother her. Yeah, you can bother me. And um, send some clips of your uh, writing if you've already done some writing so that we can just kind of get through that part immediately, and I can see if you can write. But um, yeah, but we would love, I love more contributors. I love having artists write for us. I like having students write for us. Um... But with that, the only way you can get good at this is to go look at a lot of art. Go see some art. Go see some art. <laughs>